Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is playwright, artistic director, and theatre co-founder, Kevin Lawler. In 1988, Lawler co-founded the Blue Barn Theatre in Omaha and was its artistic director from 1998 to 2002. Lawler currently is the producing artistic director of the Great Plains Theatre Conference and, similarly, is the co-founder and artistic director of the National Institute for the Lost, a catalyst and producer of original creative work. Lawler is a graduate of SUNY Purchase, his plays have been produced across the country in theatres that include the Kennedy Centre, Here Space, the Leeds Centre for Performing Arts, the Belvoir Centre, Baby Deer Theatre, the New York International Fringe Festival, and the Minnesota Fringe Festival. His travel writing was featured as a year-long journal in Medium Magazine. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so let's start with an easy question like, uh, why is the theatre... And why are plays important to oh, society? God, <laughs> where are we going to go after that? Well, uh, um, I was just talking to a, a group this morning and um, talking about the idea of how do we learn things and the real format for learning things. If you if you boil it all down to its essence, is storytelling. We tell each other stories. We tell our children stories. Um, I'm doing it now. I have a three-year-old. She just turned four. I have a four-year-old. And uh, she will ask me, you know, a lot of questions like where do people go when they die and things like that that I have to then explain. But, uh, you know, we tell, we tell stories. And I think groups of people since the beginning of time have kind of been getting together and telling stories, whether it's about the history of that group, you know, where do we come from? What did we do? Or stories about, hey, don't eat that plant because if you do, you know, you're going to or do eat that plant because that's going to make you feel a lot better. So um, I, I, it's absolutely no different today. Theater is storytelling. And although we have m so many, a multitude of forms of telling stories, this day, theater is a really deep storytelling in a very condensed period of time. So it's unique that way. A, 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 an average project, a, a writer might spend uh, four or five years on it, working on it, and then it'll come together and, and another group of creative people will get together with it and spend you know, another year on it, or in more abbreviated situations, it would be three, two, three months on it and all compressing this in. And then people go and will watch this compression of all this time in an hour and a half. Um, so there's a lot of life that's conveyed in that really quick period of time. And really you can think about, you know, a playwright or an artist something that they're writing about, they might spend four years actually writing the piece, but it, they could have spent their whole life, <laughs> you know, uh, living that material or discovering it. So it's, there's this compression 
of life that then is given. It's like a super multivitamin of life that's given to, to people. And it's all, it's all about stories. I totally forgot what the initial question was, but I had fun going along. <laughs> it was one of those questions that just opens the widest possible barn door. Mm -hmm. to the importance of theater and plays. And you've talked a little bit about just this fundamental role of stories in society from, you know, the beginning of our traceable history. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a good place to reach back to. We, we can maybe plunder some of those stories from the past and, and think about how they still resonate today. And I've, I've not really seen many of these plays, but, but the idea of the great Greek plays, and, and I'm sure that you'll be able to tell us more about some, some of the classics, whether uh, maybe Aeschylus comes to mind or, or people whose names I don't know how to pronounce, um, but how those stories continue to resonate, but just to simply reclothed in the presentation that mirrors contemporary times. And so I, I don't know where we start with, with these stories. Yeah, I mean, you could you could go back quite a ways, and if you if you break outside the realm of just theater, I mean, you go back forever and a day. You know, the 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 cave drawings are Lasso. Is that how you say Lasso? Anyway, um, and the rev. You know, I just saw a great production of Uncle Vanya at the uh, Joslin Castle, and it felt so very contemporary in so many ways. It was there was so many moments of kind of at me too uh, relevance. I mean, it's just if if a story taps into human deep human nature, then we'll see a recurrence of it coming back. All of Shakespeare's work, all you know, it, somebody great like Chekhov. That's and it's interesting to watch that the revival of Angels in America has just taken off here in the in the U.S. It was in London last year, but it's just as everybody's saying, it's just as resonant as ever, and maybe in some ways even more so. Uh, these great stories will will really carry on for a long time. I think. Would you describe a little bit? Angels in America, and what the general narrative and plot is, and, and maybe speak a little bit to why that is still relevant and why it's so potent. Well, I would if I was enough of an expert on it. I, I did see it, and I saw the, the version that was, I, I don't know how many years ago it must have been. Um, I think that the chaos and tragedy of the AIDS epidemic rolled together with the Reagan administration and all the changes that were happening in the country at that point in time were almost sort of mythically captured by Tony Kushner. And um, there was a sense of some huge ending that was hopefully maybe a beginning of something else that he captured in that drama. Um, a feeling of, of panic, a feeling of 
revelations about ourselves, very dark parts of ourselves that we had previously not been, or chunk, whole chunks of our country had not been able to look at or grasp, be intimate with. And uh, so the, the storyline, there's about 15 storylines <laughs> and he's a master of weaving them and keeping them going and keeping them relevant. Um, so I'm not, I'm not even sure I can go fully into that, but um, there's, there's a main couple and the one man comes down with AIDS and um, his partner promptly if I'm remembering, I see if this is going to be bad because I'm going to, but his partner uh, uh, basically backs out of the relationship at that point. Doesn't, doesn't have, feel like he has what it is to stay. Simultaneously, there's a Mormon married couple. Um, and yeah, I'm, <laughs> they, their marriage is going haywire at the same time. Um, there's an angel. There's an angel that appears. There's, yeah, it's it's just a stunning, epic, epically sized, you know, piece. But it really captured an energy then that, uh, and you know, look at Reagan and we look at Trump. They're they're different. They're totally different beasts. But there was a feeling in the country that I think is similar to a feeling now of kind of a slight panic and um, like a, a struggle or a, a questioning about our basic humanity and what's what's wrong with us that we can't um, treat each other in a better fashion and uh, on a on a large scale level that I think those these two time periods are are resonating with each other with this story coming back. Well, that's so interesting, too, that perhaps our fortitude now to look back to the 80s and that period that AIDS was deemed some plague and and a toxic one that was outside the norm, combined with the reaction of the administration, the Reagan administration and others towards that was no doubt incredibly visceral at that time, but I wonder now if we have slightly more fortitude with the distance of time to to endure this kind of play and its commentary, while at the same time, perhaps its appeal today is precisely because of what you said, which is the resonance that it has with our lived experience right now, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, in a bizarre twist of fate, Roy Cohen is a lead, is a leading character in the in the in the place and uh he was a mentor to donald trump um and uh he dies of if i'm remembering right he dies of liver cancer i say that in quotes because that's what he wanted people to to um hear even after he was dead but uh, the the kind of vicious viciousness that he has uh, is so well reflected in like the Trump tweets and all of the this kind of crazy environment of lies and uh, fake news to, totally destabilizing. 
Got a date with an angel Gotta meet him at seven Got a date with an angel And I'm on my way to heaven He's so lovely beside me And whatever betide me Got an angel to guide me And I'm on my way to heaven Soon I'll hear the bells ring out And the choir will sing out When the pearly gates swing out He'll beckon to me I've been waiting a lifetime. So I think it's interesting that we're talking a little bit about the importance of plays and the role of theatre in presenting to our society and ourselves some of these articulations of how we can approach our confusing and emotional and lived experiences. And it was just, I think, last summer that there was the furore around the Julius Caesar performance that I, th I think it was in maybe Central Park in New York City. And it's not the first time that they have portrayed this particular oh, production right. of Shakespeare yeah. in ways that resonate with particular people. So, for example, this, this I think the same director has uh, used uh, uh, black characters in, in some kind of motif or way to suggest a contemporary time during Barack Obama's presidency. But the furore that surrounded the... Ersatz, Donald Trumpian sort of presentation yeah. created quite quite an outrage. But in some ways, this is the point of culture, right? What would that point be? A little outrage, a little truth-telling, yeah. a little uh, tangential approaches to how we can consider the reality of our world. Mm. Yeah, I, that, that sounds stunningly good. Let's go with that, shall we? <laughs> Um, I, I read about that and, and, uh, I think you've succinctly said everything that there is to say about it, but I'm, I'm interested too in a type of storytelling that, uh, I, I was just in a meeting this morning where we were talking about, uh, how is theater storytelling changing in society now? Is it changing or is it? If it is, how is it changing and why? And I think it is. Um, I feel like there's a huge, huge societal changes occurring right now. And theater is moving along, you know, as quickly as it can. Uh, but that's fascinating to me. And there's uh, like storytelling now that is happening where the traditional structure of theater with a, a regional theater, say the Guthrie or the arena stage or a nonprofit theater, a very large flagship place. Um, they bring in a play or a playwright from New York, you know, and do this production and everybody goes who can afford to go, which is really kind of about 20, 
25% or 30% of the people in the community. Because the tickets are really expensive in traditional theater structure. I can't afford to go to most of the productions, um, even a lot of them in town here. And um, so there's a new, another model. And that model is that we have a playwright like Denise Chapman, who is a third generation North Omaha resident, deeply enmeshed in the community, who um, for the past two years has been working on a play about what happened to North Omaha when I-75 North came through the highway. Talking to her family, her friends, neighbors, getting this, gathering the stories, and then crafting a play. And that play will be done for free at the 75 North development uh, this spring. That's a whole different model. Um, it won't be done in a theater. It's going to be done in the new civic space at the 75 North. And um, it, yeah, I, I think this is, to me, this is hopefully where things are moving in terms of theater structure. And I think it goes along with what is the, the fall of patriarchy and the, the fall or a complete restructuring of capitalism that I think are out of necessity finally starting to occur. I want to follow up on that idea of the business model for theater performance changing. But before we do that, I, I want to keep talking about this idea that stories and storytelling are changing in these times. You said that storytelling was changing and you, and you wondered why. And I wonder if you might talk a little bit more about how we can identify the qualities or characteristics of stories changing and any opinion as to why they are changing? Well, I think part of it is how, how, who and how are telling, who is telling the stories and how they're being told, how they're being shared. And so that is, again, I think goes back to some of these fundamental changes that are happening in society. The, the rise of feminine energy, which will hopefully be in time to save the planet from the patriarchy, which has just about destroyed it, uh, is, is going to change things. The feminine energy is grounded. It's a grounded energy. It's earth grounded. And that provides for uh, more grounded ways of telling stories than having a white male playwright fly into a city and put on a play that he wrote you know, in his penthouse in New York or wherever in New York, his apartment, uh, Denise is going to tell a different story than that. Um, so I think that that is, that's, that's connected. And that's why the stories are different. We talk a lot about community. I think you even have community as part of the description of your radio show. So everybody, I think, is really working hard to try to find a different understanding, a deeper understanding, a more connected understanding of community. Even the radio station here is an, an extension of that. Uh, I think we all realize that the sort of nationalistic energy has just about done us in. <laughs> and we've got
got to change it. So I know you've talked to, you know, dozens and dozens of people that are working in the same way in their own directions. So it's, it's who tells the stories and then it's how they tell them. And, uh, like Denise working with the community where there's also a piece that we, I've been working on with the South Omaha community. We work for years with the community to develop and hear what stories are in that community rather than bringing something from the outside in and saying, Hey, look at this, you know? Um, so it's, again, it's hopefully a grounding a little bit more of a grounding and, uh, and in the in the community, in the people of the community. It's interesting then to think about how we as an audience or we as community members get to hear those stories. And and so I can understand why the storytelling is changing and, and how those stories are being distributed. But it speaks a little bit to the business model. And the status quo, I think, it can be quite hard to change and to shift. So you mentioned that Denise has been working hard on this particular project. And we'll present that at this fairly new community development space and we'll deliver that for free. But I'm sure many people will be wondering, well, well, how does that happen? How do, it's one thing me as a community member getting to see that for free, but how is that sustainable? And so I'm just curious about the shifts necessary in business models to to make this feasible. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. You know, just, just for the record here, yeah. because no one listening can see this, but at this point you're kind of rubbing your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a question that I just lose many hours of sleep over because <laughs> you you can never just jump into the new uh, scot free, you know, without some losing a limb and and some sleep and uh, but there there's an enlightened group of people and um, organizations that I've worked to, you know, uh, convince them of the necessity of this and of the goodness of, of being able to do this. And uh, so with their support, we've been able to completely subvert the financial structure of a traditional theater with this. And People who come from outside uh, see this and are amazed at it, you know, and uh, it's a tremendous, um, it's a tremendous way to share stories. And there's a lot of good faith generated in that on all sides. listening to lives we'll be back after the break half empty half full cup runneth over horns of plenty coffers full we're starting
I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives. My guest today is playwright, artistic director, and theater co-founder Kevin Lawler. Come back to Chicago, city of, city of you have, I think, your own projects, and and maybe that you've talked to me about before, and. I want to hear a little more about those, and and one way to lead into them is to describe a small Nebraska town, Lyons, and I can't remember its population, but let's just say a couple of thousand people. But one of the fascinating features of uh, Lyons is that on its main street there is a fake shop front, and it collapses down and bleachers come out and it, it becomes essentially just a performing space and the street will close and there will be community-based performances. And that idea of subverting the way things are always done in expensive theatres with traditional, classic, great, but traditional performances around classic stories doesn't have to be a, a model that we pursue. And so... I think you too have talked about different ways to present to, not even just present to, but present with the public, some theatrical narratives and storytelling. And I wonder if you maybe just would pick one or two of your own projects. Well, sure, but that is brilliant. I mean, to have a, to have an, the the facade of a storefront <laughs> and have that actually transform into the community space it's its own weird commentary right on subverting not only how stories are told and presented and not how communities consume them but how we speak to the idea of consumer culture as well yeah yeah that's really amazing (laughs) um well let's see i um on personal projects like with my writing i all of my writing i put out for free so that anybody can partake in it. There's a there's also a great. I'm di- diverging a little bit here, but there's a great model called radical hospitality. Um, I know it as applied by the Mixed Blood Theater in Minneapolis, which um, there's a huge block of tickets for every performance that's that are free, and um, you just have to show up at the theater to see if you get a seat. If you want to reserve a seat, you can pay the what the ticket price would be for a paying customer, and you know um, you can have a seat reserved. If if not, just go to the theater. If you ha- they have a seat, you're in. You can donate. You can give a donation or not. And so this is a, a really wonderful new model that that they're taking on up in Minneapolis and they've had pretty good success with it. There's fundraising involved and things like that, but it changes the nature of who's in the audience. It 
changes the nature of why their 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 diversity has increased immensely in in all ways, including age range. Um, I, I don't know. It's just that's, that's a fascinating side piece. But so um, part of my giving the writing away for free is is that a little bit of that idea of radical hospitality. You know, um, you put that energy out there, and then energy comes back, um, and it's stuff that is needed for sustenance that comes back to you. Uh, my biggest performance piece has been my, my parenting for the last couple of years because I've had, a, I have a toddler, but uh, just before then uh, probably the, uh, one of the more interesting pieces that I got involved in was a project to walk around the, the entire perimeter of the city of Omaha. And um, I invited people to come and walk with me uh, and also kind of did some digital updates on the journey so people could people who couldn't physically get out there could follow and see different parts of the outskirts of our city, which there's some just fascinating, really wonderful, um, varied, va- incredibly varied parts of our the outskirts of our city. So that's something where the community can partake. And I, I do plan to do it again. And I think more people will come along the next time. There were two nights camping out. It was a three-day, about roughly about 25 miles a day. Um, so uh, you get your exercise and you get to see it. And people came out and would meet me at the campsites and camp with me. We'd share some stories and uh, it, it and people came out and walk and did come out and walk with me. They'd walk for certain sections and um, you just have conversations while you're walking. And uh, it's quite an extraordinary way to get to know where you live. And it allowed it allowed me a drastically new view of of the city. And I think a lot of other people got that sense too. So there's an example of uh one of the but there's no money involved <laughs> there's no there never is it seems no money involved the next one i want to do is is a missouri river float um or swim maybe depending on safety issues but um i i think we we live by this incredible river one of the great rivers of the world and pretty much kind of we all forget about it <laughs> unless you end up down there to go around the Bob Carey footbridge or something. I think it was also when I lived in New York city, you go to go around for weeks, not realizing that you are on an Island in the ocean, you know, and then finally you'd see the water. Oh my God. Yes. There's, there's brackish, you know, seawater out there, but, just kind of a developing a, a little more awareness or pulling more awareness to, uh, to things that we just sort of forget about. All of these things speak to some form of embodying ways that we experience the world, embodying and, and acting physically upon how we engage with each other and experience both of those things in sort of this productive dynamic tension in some way, whether it's uh, an explicitly performed narrative or it's, it's a somewhat more random um, traversing of our, you know, landscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the narrative, yeah, it's fascinating where narratives could, can come from. It, it's, it is random, but it's, uh, you know, um, there was a, there was a, an idea behind that walk around and an idea of, 
you know, thinking about our city as a as a a whole community and thinking about the earth as part of our community. But after that, you know, it was whatever people were going to bring to it, whatever whatever I was able to observe and see along with everybody else going on that journey. So um, that that's fascinating stuff when you can set up conditions for so this changes the idea of storytelling as then uh responding you know with a group of people to to what's going on uh and that's really great and when you can do it in person so theater you know obviously as the performing arts we get to do that in person and um that's another really especially with all the digital now that that we're feeding ourselves so much every day that the in-person uh, you know I'm I'm preaching to the to the preacher here because conversation is another form of that you know um, so that random performance that random story that rises out that's stunning I miss this in Omaha but I would imagine that others are more familiar with it than I. But a couple of years ago, maybe a production called Beer Town came to Omaha. Oh, yeah. And it's, in some ways, it is an expression of, and an exploration of civic engagement in very practical ways, while at the same time also being very much audience participatory and driving whatever the end narrative is, is, is very much based upon audience participation, mm-hmm. which takes this idea of theater and performance and narrative and structure in, I would imagine, extremely unusual places and, and, and different ways than most people would expect from the traditional experience of going, sitting in a seat at a designed venue to absorb a play with an intermission and then you leave after having, you know, your nice little pot of strawberry ice cream. Right. Yeah. The trick is if if we're still within that financial structure, that old financial structure, it, that determines a lot that really sets a lot. And I think I'm hoping Omaha can, can become a leader in changing that. And I think we could, you know, the, um, the community playhouse is community. That's the first, you know, the Omaha community playhouse. So uh, there's there's some hope even in that concept, just that idea. Um, so I'm I'm fascinated, but it really sets a lot. If it's a standard a ticket purchase and at a standard theater, you're working against the odds already there of of certain certain kinds of interactions.
you know that you were going to be a playwright and so passionate about the performing art? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. How could you know? How, could how you did know? you know? Oh, how did I know? I didn't know. Uh, I, I just had to start. I just had to start writing. I just had to start directing or acting, you know, all of that. I didn't know. I didn't somehow I just was, you know, I just started doing it. And uh, you start out and all of your foibles and all of your, you know, um, collapse perspectives and everything, you know, uh, are, are right there with you. And then hopefully you grow as you grow as an artist, you grow as a person in your life and continue to do that. And, uh, um, you know, so it's an ever ongoing process and and uh I, you know my my therapist <laughs> talking about growing my therapist says uh sometimes i'll come in and say god i i really just don't know what to talk about today it's, it's okay he said i really trust the process here just trust what rises what's going to rise will you know the psyche will bring out what needs to be brought out over time and I think some of the best artwork, some of the best storytelling can come from that, from that way. And maybe I've always had to do this type of work to survive. I, I think that case could be made for that. So make the case. That's fascinating. How have you grown through your art as a person? Well, I mean, uh, just, just at the, at the um, very base of it, um, I, I, you know, I started as a painter actually, um, and I feel like I got, I, I headed toward theater not consciously, but because something subconscious said, if you try to become a painter now, you're going to die. Um, the isolation. I'm an incredible introvert, and I think the isolation combined with my mental and emotional health at the beginning, you know, of my adulthood would have been too much. But what theater does is forces you to interact with other people. It forces you to look at your emotions, your emotional life, to examine it, to feel it, to express it. I grew up in Minnesota in a, a pretty strict Catholic family where it was just not 
right at all to express anything <laughs> emotionally, you know? Uh, so I think theater found, I found theater, theater found me. Cause I don't know if I would have, if I would have gone straight into painting, I don't know if I would have survived. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I would imagine there's some dark, very twisted reason why you've focused on storytelling so much too, but me, yeah, <laughs> um, no, I'm, jo- I'm yeah, I'm probably. Kidding. I have my own dark stories that only my therapist should know, but because I don't go to therapy, it's oh. all just bubbling. I need to go to more plays. So, what should I go and see? You know, if you were recommending for someone like me who really, I, I haven't been to that many plays. If I think about it, I've been to many, but not that many. So. What is happening in the world today that really everybody should be paying attention to? Well, if you can, if you can get a seat at Denise's play, um, more than neighbors, it's called. I that that would be one I would see. Um, that's June first, and uh, also that week, actually that whole kind of month, mid May to mid June, there's a play called. The city and the city and the city, which is a, a kind of a labyrinth story, which we all need to see because our lives are unfolding, you know, journeys of exploration and mystery. And uh, to see that on stage embodied, that journey is really helpful. I think it's really helpful, especially when it's done well. And that's a gorgeous that's a gorgeous play. So I would recommend that too. That's at the Blue Barn that, that whole month. Um, those are two off the top of my head that I could. Are there any plays in your own life, not necessarily of your own creation, but any theater experience or play that has moved you in unexpected yet necessary ways? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of them. I, one of the first moments that I thought, oh, theater, theater is, I, I'd gone to New York. Um, and I was pretty young, probably 19. And, uh, my family had some friends there. I slept on their couch and I thought, let me see some theater and see if I might want to go into theater. I wasn't really, wasn't sure, but I had no idea about the New York scene. I had heard of off Broadway and off off Broadway that that was kind of supposed to be the really good work or the edgy work or what have you. And so I just picked out a, a play in the paper. It was a, a series of one acts and I had no idea who this playwright was and who directed anything like that. And I, so I walked and walked down 42nd street all the way to the Hudson river kept getting, and this was back you know, in the early 80s. So it kept getting darker and scary, you know, but finally I went into this little theater and the lights went down and came back up and I saw these these three one acts that were like the most vivid, strange dream you would ever have. The kind where you wake up and you're almost shaking and like, holy God, what was that that I just dreamed? Where that was unfolding on the stage, I, I, just beyond, I just thought, I, I, I never conceived that you could have that, see that live on stage, to have that live. And com- combined with this 
unbelievably razor-sharp humor that slipped in in different places. And I thought, if you can do this in the theater, I, I can do theater. It was like paint, like the greatest, most strange or wild painting vision that you could ever could be do, done live. So the playwright was a guy named Samuel Beckett. And um, it was just a stunning, you know, a stunning time. That's just one of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of experiences I had. Tell me a little more about the Great Plains Theatre Conference and your role with that. The Great Plains is, it's primarily a, a new play development gathering. And um, we put out a call for plays and we get plays back from all over the country and now internationally too. Um, this year we got a thousand plays submitted. So we, we read through that body of work and we're bringing 20 playwrights and 20 plays from that, that group. They're plays that, they have to be plays that haven't been professionally produced before. And uh, they're really quite stunning. So they're brand new. They're just coming into, the, into society. Uh, they bring that energy of the stories that need to be told now and haven't been told. So we bring some of the very top theater people out to respond to these playwrights and, and to their plays. And we spend a whole week doing that. And um, in the evenings, we do this theater festival, this free festival for the city. Denise's play, More Than Neighbors, is part of that. Um, city in the City in the City is part of that. Um, we have an honored playwright this year, it's Sarah Rule, and uh, um, we teach workshops, all the readings during the day. Everything is free for everybody. You don't need a reservation. You can come to anything. Just uh, join, and it's uh, a really, really stunning week. Kevin, it's been a great privilege to have you on the show. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. Live's radio show is supported by Humanities Nebraska, inspiring and enriching personal and public life by delivering opportunities to engage thoughtfully with history and culture. Learn more at humanitiesnebraska.org. I can't believe our time is up. Oh, yeah. I, I think we're going to be saying that over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of this week's show. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life. <laughs>